Hello, and welcome to Be My Mentor, a real estate podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you with all things real estate. You see, when I first got my real estate license, I knew there was a lot to learn, and the best way I knew to learn was to ask a lot of questions. In every episode, we have conversations with professionals that are in the field every day, from home inspectors, agents, mortgage lenders, and even photographers. So whether you're a future home buyer, homeowner, or a real estate agent, you're going to walk away with something practical and actionable. I can't wait to learn with you on this journey. I'm very excited about this week's episode with Nicole Stanborough from the Stanborough Home Team here in Jupiter, Florida. Originally from New York, Nicole has planted herself here in South Florida for the last 11 years. She is a U.S. veteran having served with the Army as an engineer officer in both Iraq and Afghanistan. In this episode, we spend a good amount of time talking about VA loans and how it helps veterans with home ownership. And if you're a veteran or a realtor who wants to know more, this will be a great episode for you. We also talk about how to negotiate and some strategies you can take advantage of when making an offer. Whether you're a real estate agent, a veteran, or a buyer looking for your next home, this episode has something for you. So let's dive right in and welcome Nicole Stanbra. Thank you so much for coming Yeah, on. thank Absolutely. you for having me. This is exciting. Awesome. So I know when we talked before, we kind of talked about we wanted to cover VA loans and mm-hmm. how to negotiate um, offers and all of that. Um, but why don't we just start with your story? Why are you a realtor? Like I saw, I was visiting your website mm-hmm. and I saw like, what is your why? Yeah. So what is your why? Where did you come from and what's your story? Yeah, okay, cool. So um, again, Nicole Stamber with the Stamber Home Team. And um, I'm a New York transplant as of 11 years ago. So I, I weathered a few Florida storms, so I feel like I'm a local now. Um, but I lived all along the Eastern coast and um, prior to moving down here, I was in the US Army. So I served as an engineer officer with tours to Iraq and Afghanistan. And, um, you know, when I got out, it was, you know, where do I go find a job? Because I pretty much had a job lined up and then you ETS out of the military and it's like, now what? So you have all these, all this training and knowledge and experience, but it, you have to figure out, you know, where it fits. So anyway, I had an opportunity to get into business development. I've always been in sales and business development, marketing. And it brought me down to Florida. Um, Same with my husband. We both just happened to get jobs in the same kind of area at the same time. So were you guys both in the military? We were both in the military. Okay. And so my husband, also an engineer officer, we met while we were deployed to Afghanistan. So we didn't even know each other stateside um, because we went to he went to West Point. I went through ROTC. So we, I mean, it's just kind of a. It, it worked out. It wasn't all that bad, right? Being deployed, I got to meet my future husband. So, um, but yeah, he got out and then we relocated down here just in, you know, private sector sales. Um, and I had always been grown, I was raised in a family where my father always owned a lot of investment real estate. So in Long Island, I think at any given time, he probably had 40 properties. So he would either flip them or, they were tenant occupied. My brother is still in commercial real estate in the city. So I kind of grew up with that in the back of my head, but at the time it wasn't something that was, you know, I was super passionate about. And then I just, 
because of the military in us, I think every couple years, my husband and I kept moving. So we started out in Melbourne, up in Satellite Beach, and then we go to West Palm, then Fort Lauderdale, then Palm Beach Gardens, and Juneau, and Jupiter. And I was like, all right, before we move again, one of us has to get our license because this is just crazy. Like we're spending all this money on commission paying. Like one of us should just get it for our own use, you know? Um, and so that's what I did. It. I, I ended up just, you know, taking the course while I was on maternity leave with my kid and then we bought and sold the house. So I was like, all right, if nothing else, we saved about 30 grand just in me taking the class for commissions. Mm -hmm. So, and then just little by little things organically started happening. Um, I would get, you know, a lead here, referral there every once in a while. And at that time I was working for a utility company full time. I'd been there with them for seven years and they were being acquired by another company. So they basically said, well, you can go to the new company or we'll give you a severance. And it was one of those kind of moments in life where you're like scared because mm -hmm. you had this nice salary for seven years. And it's like, well, I could take this leap and you know, you, you eat what you kill in real estate. Um, and I just, I, I did it. I just leapt in. I was like, all right, we'll try this thing out. I'm going to work hard at it. And I think it was the best, you know, decision that I made. So I'm lucky for that. But, um, but anyway, so the biggest thing I think with the military background has just been that it's just been a part of my business model, my work ethic, and something that I've really used to give back to my fellow veterans in local communities. So um, like I have a Go Serve Big program initiative where mm -hmm. I work with my veterans um, to rebate a portion of our commission back towards their closing costs to kind of help them. And it's just a thank you for their service to the country. Um, and we're also now rolling it out to our local community heroes, our police, our fire, our doctor, physician, nurses, and our teachers. Because really as a community, there's so much to be thankful for and um, just giving back I think is really important. So that's been kind of how that's all tied in for me. That's really cool. How, um, how do those programs work? Yeah, so um, like for example, I'm working right now with a veteran who um, I met actually on Instagram and just through connecting and kind of building that you know relationship online, we got together um, and they were looking to purchase a home. And he's an Air Force veteran, I'm an Army girl, so we gave each other a little crap there. Um, mm -hmm. But really solid guy and you know he, he knew where he wanted to be. He started, we started just the typical home buying process, got him pre-approved with my lender who specializes in VA loans, which is very important. Um, and then, yeah, a part my, my part in it, of, of course, is providing awesome service throughout the process. But at the end, I credit back like about 20% of my commission, my gross commission towards him, towards his closing costs. So you okay. can rebate back a portion towards their closing costs. Um, so, you know, ends up being anywhere from five to $10,000 cash back to the client. So just another way of saying thank you to mm -hmm. my clients. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So as a new agent, uh, I'm, a, I'm a brand new agent. Uh, how about how long did it take you to to get where you are today within your real estate career? So um, honestly, I've only been full time for about two years. Okay. So um, that's I, pretty good for two years. It's pretty good for two yeah. years. I I would credit um, again a lot of the work ethic that I just learned from the military, but I also know the value of coaching 
and accountability partners and networking. Um, I, I join coaching programs. I'm constantly trying to educate myself, whether I'm listening to podcasts or webinars or signing up for every and any kind of training course that I possibly can, free and paid. Mm -hmm. I traveled all around the country um, going to different events to just learn and be a sponge. And I feel like that is one of the most valuable things that I learned from. Um, most agents would probably say, you know, most agents, I forget the percentage, you probably know, like in the first two years they draw about. Like it's so, it's, it's a, a big hard percentage. business, right. especially for new people. And I didn't have, I'm not from here, so I didn't have friends and family. I didn't have a sphere of influence. So a lot of it was just learning how to market, um, a big part of it. But um, yeah, I just, I would say, be a sponge, figure out your niche, and learn the marketing part, mm -hmm. um, kind of in that order. Um, and like what you're doing right now is right. is key, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely want to come back to that. Um, just kind of what you did as an agent and what your sources of marketing sure. are and stuff like that, because I'm yeah. always trying to learn. You know, I can't do every every strategy, but I can pick two or three and I can just focus in mm -hmm. on those. And that's, sort, that's what I've discovered I will be successful to me and we, you know with COVID it's sort of like trying to find out strategies that work now that maybe didn't work quite as well before totally all of those things but yeah. I do want to talk a little bit um, I definitely want to hit on VA loans okay. and so I have I have a sister-in-law and her husband who just got out of the military awesome. and they just moved from Hawaii and he it looks like he might be going back into the Air Force not sure okay. but um, well, he was a Marine and now, anyways. Okay. So that's, <laughs> didn't have you guys would have good conversations, <laughs> I'm sure, right? Didn't have enough, but just moved down here. Uh -huh. And so probably in the next year or two, they're going to be looking sure. for something a little bit more permanent. Mm -hmm. I'm totally brand new. Like what exactly is a VA loan and how does it work? Yeah. So a VA loan essentially is a government backed, a government guaranteed financing loan. So the veteran administration guarantees that they will pay and back that loan should the veteran default. And it's a different kind of mortgage loan because they have different requirements. They're, um, it's less risky for the seller because the VA basically takes on a lot of that risk on their own because mm. it's, it's always been about helping and thanking our veterans who have served this country and trying to help them towards a way of home ownership, right? Mm -hmm. So they're doing things like maybe waiving fees. They are, um, they lower the debt to income ratio requirement. They lower, lower the credit score. So they make it a lot more feasible for a veteran um, to be able to obtain financing. Um, and again, for the seller who is being presented with a buyer who's using a VA loan, they shouldn't have peace in mind and know that, okay, this is a really strong offer, way stronger actually than conventional and FHA. Mm -hmm. People might disagree with me, but you can confirm with the lender. Um, but it is because it's, it's guaranteed by the VA. Um, you have to be honorably discharged, okay? And every veteran who, you know, ETSs or retires from the military, they know if they have a honorable or dishonorable discharge. So they, ha they have that requirement. And then there's different time and service requirements. Pretty much anyone who is active duty 
um, for more than 90 days are, would be um, eligible. Uh, it, it varies a little bit with Reserve and National Guard, the requirements of how long they had to be in, whether it's peacetime or um, active time of war, um, time in service during wartime. So there's some things, timeline that varies with that. Um, but they would start the process really by co uh, calling or even going to the VA. There's VAs here in West Palm Beach, up in Port St. Lucie, and getting that cert uh, certificate of eligibility. Mm -hmm. So, um, excuse me, yes, Certificate of Eligibility or Entitlement, I got to Google it. Um, <laughs> COE is the acronym, but that says on there um, whether the veteran meets those requirements, and that's something that the, the vet can go pick up themselves, or a lender is, most lenders are well-versed in obtaining that document themselves. So they get the COE. Uh, certificate of Entitlement, and then their DD-214, which any veteran who is discharged from the military has this document. It's like gold. Most of, most of us keep it in like a safe deposit box or, you know, a, a lock box or something because it's, it's a very valuable document. So that and the COE go to the lender and that lets them start the financing process mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the pre-approval and the, the process. Okay, so that's the COE. COE. And? And the DD-214. DD-214. Okay. That's the gold that you keep the, That's safe. golden. You have to okay. have that document. And like, what I is that document? That's just... it. I could pull mine up. It's on my phone. It, it basically has all your contact information, your social. It has a roster of the years that you've served, where you served. Um, I think it has what awards you've received on it. Um, and it just says basically your start date and your end date. It's an official you, record. It's of... an official record, yes, from the government, from the military. Um, it will have your branch of service, so Army, Air Force, Marines, whatever, Navy, um, and then the, the dates in there. So that is like your golden ticket out of the military when you have that. Yeah, certificate of eligibility. And that reflects, and some of this is probably better suited for a lender, but mm -hmm. on the certificate of eligibility or the COE, it shows what the veteran's entitlement is. Okay. So the okay. entitlement is, it's basically a math equation of how much the VA will guarantee, how much, how many dollars the, vet, the VA will guarantee that veteran's loan for. So I could give some examples. Yeah. Cause I'm curious what that's based on. Okay. So, um, it's based on the, the veteran's good standing with the VA, um, their, their, um, their benefits. So for example, when you use a VA, it can only be used for a primary home. So you can't buy a bunch of homes. You have to have it as your primary residency that you are living in. Okay, so that could be a single family home, townhome, condo, um, new construction, manufactured home, villa, any of that, okay? Um, but you have to be living it. You could also purchase a multifamily. Okay, so this is really cool. You can, it has to be maximum four units, so a quadplex, but you can, you have to live in one of them. But the awesome thing is that, okay, I see a lot of first time home buyers or veterans who are looking to buy investment properties. They will buy a duplex or triplex, live in one of the units, and then they're offsetting their mortgage from the income rent. It's amazing. Like it, I think that in itself is one of the greatest benefits for a VA loan um, because it, again, it's no money down. That's of course the biggest, that's probably number one benefit of a VA loan is that the veteran does not have to put anything down. 
Um, they've changed some rules recently this year. There's no cap for a VA loan, so you can purchase a multi-million dollar home using a VA loan, okay, and not have to put anything down. Hmm. Now your mortgage is going to be astronomical, you know, mm -hmm. so you may, they may choose to put a little, you know, five, 10, whatever percent they want, but the option that they have is not having to come out of pocket and put anything down. Okay, so that's probably the biggest benefit. Number two, I think, is that you can buy investment real estate as long as you're living in one of those units and offset your mortgage by your renter's income. Like, that's awesome. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, when it comes to investment properties, it's all about, you know, what you're able to get out of it once and what you put into it. Yeah. And being able to not have any money down or anything like that. That's, yeah. I mean, you're already right. you're already up. So it's like it's a great deal. Um, so, yeah, single family homes, townhomes, really any residential property. The only thing is with condos. So the Veteran Administration on their website, they have a list of approved condos. It gets tricky with the condos in the VA. They do not allow, they have to be approved. And many, con and that's based on the condo's um, finances. Basically, if they're strong financially as a condo association, they have to also um, you know, request approval through the VA to be added to that list. Um, they take into account number of renters versus number of owner-occupied units in a condo building. So there's a lot that goes into it, but they have to be on this approved list, which gets a little tricky because there's not that many. Um, so when people, when when veterans are asking about condos, the first thing I do is refer them to this list, and that kind of helps narrow down the search because there's really not that many great mm -hmm. options. But so really, townhomes are the best bet for that. Interesting. I mean, yeah. townhomes are similar they're obviously a different they're similar it's right. just really how they zoned it on you know property appraiser but Interesting. Yeah. yeah yeah um speaking of appraisals are mm -hmm. they when it comes to appraising a property for a va loan like how does that work is it difficult to get approval for that or yeah what's the process so historically the va they sometimes they get a bad rap because of the appraisals and i think it's just um the main issue is that sometimes it takes a little longer. Okay, so uh, for example, the VA hires their own appraiser. This is not like when you're doing conventional or FHA, the lenders usually have an appraisal management company that they reach out to, they order the appraisal and it goes out. No, with the VA, they have their own pool of appraisers that are certified. There's different kind of you know certifications that they have to get to be a VA appraiser. And so sometimes there's a little delay in that. Um, I'm sh I have not seen the difference, like I have not gone through the difference of what the end result of a VA appraisal versus conventional is, but I'm sure there's different, the report's probably a little different on what they mm -hmm. have to submit. Um, but it's a little, it takes a little bit longer. And But the really cool thing with a VA appraisal is that what they have is called Tidewater. And Tidewater is a period of which and a VA appraisal goes out to the house and say he's like having trouble coming up with comps to support the purchase price. Because all appraisers, they get either a copy of the sales contract or they know what the home, they know what the purchase price is for the mm -hmm. house. So say they're out at a house, it's a million dollar house, and they're only coming up with comps that would support like 900 or 950. Well, rather than submitting that report automatically back to the lender, they use this Tidewater um, process where they reach out to the lender, the listing agent, the buyer agent. They're like, hey, I'm having trouble. 
if you can send me over some comps that I'm not finding to help support an appraisal at the purchase price, you know, mm -hmm. I'm all ears. And that's crucial because so many times, if a, especially VA appraisers, they may not be super local to your market. They're mm -hmm. not, you know, they could be coming from Port St. Lucie and doing a Jupiter veteran appraisal. They may not know this market and they may have a hard time you know, finding good comps. So the fact that they do allow this period of time where agents can weigh in and provide some of those is huge. And I've seen at least five times where the appraisal, because of that, the appraiser was able to update it and um, the house did appraise for the veteran. So it, that's a really nice benefit of the appraisals with the VA. That's pretty cool. Is that yeah. something that they just automatically do if they can't reach the number or is it something you sort of have to ask them? They'll automatically do it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if it appraises, it appraises, they move on. Right. But if, if it's like close and they're having a trouble finding those comps, they reach out and they um, initiate that process. How often does it happen where the comps are just off and... I think it just, it depends on the market. Like the VA is not going to be necessarily harder on the appraiser. I mean, everyone, everyone wants to make a deal work, right? Like mm -hmm. if the veteran, if any buyer is willing to pay a certain price for a house, then that's what market is dictating. So mm -hmm. that's what they should be able to purchase it for. Now, the VA is going to protect that veteran from over overpaying, mm -hmm. even with any borrower. The, the lender, the appraiser is going to protect them in that sense. So it's not crazy. But, you know, um, it's, it's not that the VA makes it harder to appraise a house. They, it, they follow the same process. They just have this neat little process, you know, interrupter, the tide water that they can use in okay. case where they have trouble. So how does that work with, does that make the offer unattractive to the seller? Like when a VA loan, oh, that's a VA loan, like yeah. stay away from that. Like how, how do you deal with that? Okay, and that's a great question because Again, I think for all, it's education. It's like 100%. That's why I tell people, just go to JTHS or IPB, take a class on VA loans or, you know, working with veterans. Like I did, um, uh, I'm MRP um, uh, cert certified military relocation, uh, what is it? process program. I don't know, like there's different certifications that you can get to kind of really educate yourself. but. I think that a lot of agents who have not seen VA loans or don't have experience with it, they get nervous. And then sellers, if they're not being educated and explained by their listing agent, they get nervous because there's just there's always kind of been this bad rap around the VA. And the reason is there's two reasons. One, the appraisal. They're afraid that it's going to take too long. Um, and then two, the other part, VAs are the only loan that requires mandates a termite inspection. You must have a termite WDO inspection for a VA loan. In most states in this country, the veteran is not allowed to pay for that inspection. The seller has to. So, I mean, listen, it's like, what, 75 bucks? Like, oh, it's, it's like not that much. Whatever. It's an okay. add-on. Like, the, the veteran pays for the, the home inspection, the four-point, the wind mitt. But the termite in most states in the country, the veteran was not allowed to pay. In Florida now, just in the last four, three or four years, I think now the veteran is allowed to pay for the termite inspection. Okay, so again, That's a it's a weird rule. It is. It right. is. Um, you know, it's the termites and then wood rot. You know, the, any wood destroying organisms that come up. Those things. Like even when I purchased one of our first homes with the VA loan, 
there was like a little bit of wood rot on the trim. I didn't care. I was a buyer. I did not really care. It wasn't a big deal. But the VA said, no, you cannot, not only can you not pay for the inspection, the seller has to pay for it. You cannot pay for the repairs to treat it. The seller has to pay for it. Okay. And so yeah. that, that is still in place. So the veteran can pay for the inspection, but the veteran cannot pay for the repairs. So I'll give an example with that. So I have a client we're closing next week getting a VA loan. Um, there's no termites, but there's like a tiny little bit of wood rot on the bottom of a door. So in, in, insignificant, but you know, the inspector was doing their job and you know, they, they put that on their report. So the lender got a copy of that and they said, okay, well, you gotta have that repaired before we can close. And you have to have an, uh, the inspector has to issue a clean, a new WDO report that says there's no more wood rot, okay? So the seller wasn't gonna pay for that, okay? And my buyer could not pay for it, so I ended up you know, paying for that out of my pocket and I got the clear WDO to get the deal done. So I think it's a mixture of just educating and then if you're working with a veteran, you need to know the process and you have to understand the veteran themselves of you know, what their expectations are. So they, they're being told, no, you cannot pay for those repairs. Well, you know, who's gonna pay for it? You know, so if, if it was major, if it was a termite, then it's probably a different story. This, most, mm -hmm. most sellers are, are gonna be responsible for termites, but a little bit of wood rot, not a big deal, took care of it. Awesome, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, who is eligible for a VA loan? I know that I think like surviving spouse. I don't know mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. Can you kind of break that down. Sure. So it's, again, it's anyone who was received an honorable discharge, um, active duty military, um, reserves and National Guard have different timeline requirements. It's like 90 days during wartime, um, consecutive active duty days during wartime engagement. And then I think it's 180 days consecutive service during peacetime operations. So it depends on National Guard Reserve and active duty. Um, and then yes, surviving spouses of a veteran who was either killed in action or died or passed because resulting from uh, you know wounds or illnesses or something during their time in service. Mm -hmm. So that spouse is eligible given that they, ha they don't remarry. So once you remarry to a, another spouse, you lose those benefits. Even if you already have the home, or how does that work? No, I mean, once you buy the home, you buy the home. Oh, okay. So yeah, but pretty much after, yeah. Got so it. if you remarry, then you can't buy another home with it. Yeah. Got it. Um, the, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. But again, it goes back to getting your certificate of eligibility from the VA and having your DD-214, and both of those documents are what the lender reviews to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. In this climate of just houses going so quickly, yeah. I, I think we're gonna talk a little bit about this, but specific to VA loans, how do you make like make an offer and like hope that yeah, you know, because they probably want it quick and high, right? Right. You know. Okay, so two things because like this just happened with this last deal. Two things that I think were really helpful because to your point, yeah, it, not only are we in a competitive market, but 
people are buying cash, okay? And cash, yes, cash is king, especially in this market right now, especially with COVID, because there's been so many changes to the financing world. Okay, so you have cash offers, conventional, VA, FHA. Um, what I did, because with a VA loan or even FHA financing, there's an addendum that you have to add to the contract, okay? So on that addendum, there's, it's, there's a paragraph that says that seller will be responsible for X number, X dollar amount of repairs, um, basically to pay on behalf of the buyer. So in the case of a little bit of wood rot, there is an addendum that says, I think it goes up to $500. So you can write in zero, you could write in five, 500, you could put a thousand, whatever. If it's, if it's left blank, I think it defaults to 500. But the point is, like in my case, where I knew we had competitor offers, I put zero in there, okay? Because think of it, if a seller has two offers and they're identical, but there's this addendum that my client has saying that they may be, the seller may have to come out of pocket an extra 500 bucks to make repairs, whose offer are you gonna take? Mm -hmm. A lot of people, regardless of the financing and the guarantee of the VA loan, a lot of people are gonna say, I don't wanna have to pay an extra 500 bucks, I'm gonna go with the other guy. So I have been defaulting on my addendums for my VA buyers zero, just to make it as a non-issue for the seller so that they don't even have to worry or you know consider that they consider going with another offer the other part with the appraisal because sometimes it does take a little bit longer i depending on the property depending on the client and of course the buyer drives a train if i know it's a it's a good house like you know newer roof newer ac like those four points are solid mm -hmm. i usually tell the lender don't wait on ordering the appraiser appraisal until after the inspection because most lenders are going to wait until after the inspection period to order that appraiser, mm. appraisal. Because think of it, if, you're, if you have a 10-day inspection and the buyer says, oh, stuff came on the inspection, I'm gonna walk away. Well, they don't wanna have to pay a thousand bucks for the appraisal. So sometimes they wait, but I tell the lender with VA, if I know it's a good solid house and the buyer 100% wants it, mm -hmm. I say, don't wait, order it now because that just helps kind of move the thing, move everything along a little faster. So there's not a delay. And the, the veteran is paying for that yes. appraisal, yes. right? And they're, yeah. they're usually okay with that. Yes. Well, I mean, the timelines are so scrunched now, you mm -hmm. always have, you have to have that advantage, that competitive advantage, right? Yeah, I mean, so I've, wore, I've closed VA loans in 30 days. Totally possible, mm -hmm. totally be done. Um, you gotta have an amazing lender. You have to have awesome buyers who are on top of it. Just like with any buyer who wants to close in 30 days, you better be, have someone who is sending docs every day as mm -hmm. soon as the lender needs them. Um, so, you know, and I think as an agent, like you wanna protect, you don't want to set your buyer up for failure if there might be some things that, if it's over a holiday weekend, right? I'm not gonna do a 30 day close during over Thanksgiving when it's a four day break and most people are not working, right? That would make right. it much less than 30 days. So I think you just gotta know, but yeah, most sellers want a quicker close and they don't wanna have to come out of pocket with anything. So you mm -hmm. gotta just kinda know the contract well and, and backwards plan a little bit. Right, they're already coming out with their five or 6% or whatever. So For commission, they're yeah, they're like, more. I'm not giving you anything else, right? <laughs> I know. Right. Like I mentioned, the debt to income ratio is more lenient for veterans. So pretty much anything you learn in real estate school, like they have, you know, whatever, it's 28%, 41%, 43%, I think that's, 
you talk to any lender and all that pretty much goes out the window. They have, every lender is gonna have their own, um, what they call overlay, okay? Their own guidance on what they can accept as a you know, borrower, risk level tolerance. So their ratios of their debt to income, those vary, same with credit. So before COVID, a 580 credit score would could still get a, v, a veteran a VA loan. Now most lenders are wanting 640. So COVID has also affected, I mean everything, but even even the veterans. So they are requiring a little bit more, um, st I guess, stability for the borrower. Um, the other pretty cool thing is that if you're a disabled veteran. And again, you would know that the veteran knows if they're if they have a disability because um, it would be on the DD two fourteen um, of ten percent or more. Some veterans are one hundred percent disabled, um, but ten percent or more, the lender will waive their processing fee, which is huge. The processing fee is anywhere from like two point four percent of the loan to like three point six percent. It depends. Wow, that's so a big chunk. that is a huge chunk, mm -hmm. and so. Again, that money, that's not money that they have to come up with cash. It gets rolled into the loan, um, but it adds on to the mortgage. So okay. it's regardless, it's just a nice benefit, again, for the veterans who do have 10% or more, they get to, they don't have that funding fee, which just reduces their um, overall you know, expenses. So it's a nice, it's just a nice feature um, for them. So you talked about it being a government-backed loan but it still sounds that there it still sounds like there's some sort of minimum requirement. Yes. So and it like banks are not required to give these loans out. Right. You know, so what's sort of the right now what's sort of like that minimum look like even though you have even if you're eligible for a mm -hmm. a VA loan, it sounds like you still could be denied for whatever reason. The main thing that they're looking at is gonna be the credit score and the debt to income ratio. So they mm -hmm. have to just make sure as any borrower that once you close, you're gonna be able to make those payments every month. So, um, you know, and like I mentioned, the, the credit score prior to COVID, 580 could still get a veteran, um, uh, you know, approval. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on the lender, it's like one of the lenders I work with right now, they're looking at 640. They want that 640 credit score. Even though it is guaranteed by the, the, the VA, they still are they still increase those those limits. It's still their money going out. It's still their money, out. yes. Right. Um, the and then again the debt to income ratio. So like I know some lenders that will allow a fifty-seven percent debt to income ratio, which is it's pretty high, but they take into account um, like again, if you're a disabled veteran, you're getting you know, you're getting some money every month mm. um, for through your benefits. So they take into account a lot of these different things. And again, they're just they're really just trying to help veterans find a path towards homeownership. A little more. So banks are they're not always cut and dry. They they're very customized. It varies to their, by lender. Their tolerance yes. level, basically. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about this market right now and okay. how competitive it is. And I. I'd love just to hear your take on how you see the market right mm -hmm. now. Um, so there's no homes for sale. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's crazy. I don't, um, I literally was doing a search 
yes, two days ago for pool homes in Jupiter under 400,000. And there's literally one home for sale. Like there, there is just, there is no inventory, um, especially in this area, like this marketplace, single family homes. In this marketplace, Jupiter Gardens, Tequesa, like homes are selling so fast. There's so much demand. Uh, I mean, they're selling in days over asking price, multiple mm -hmm. offers, backup offers. It's crazy. Um, sight unseen. I'd say a good 30% of my business this year so far has been sight unseen. Like I've never met the person until after closing. Like they didn't even do the final walkthrough. Everything has been concierge style, real estate, um, virtual, using technology, which has been amazing, but it's all been sight unseen. And so you're getting these offers a lot from the Northeast, just the second a house goes on the market, they're just offering full price and they're saying, you know, we're, we're just do a virtual tour with us. We get on FaceTime and, and that is pretty much you, how the market is. Do you think that a lot of these buyers from the Northeast are buying because they're actually going to come live down here? Or is it sort of this investment future proof thing? Like if we just need a place to come down when things get bad again, we will. I, I honestly think that more and more people are, are just relocating down here. I think that there, I mean, we always have that seasonal snowbird uh, market here in Florida, but I think more of those seasonal people are going to become permanent. Like I've already seen people, you know, usually you, right around now, you'll start seeing people, if they haven't already, try to get their seasonal rentals in place for this upcoming season, right? So season starts around November, November through I'd say March or April. So you're getting those snowbirds coming down, they're looking for their rentals. And now a lot of them I think are saying, maybe we'll just buy because maybe instead of just, maybe we'll buy, we've, we've been snowbirding here for years, we've been renting for years, things are, you know, not so great in the Northeast right now. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty, both in politics and COVID and everything else that's happened because of it. I think a lot more people are just coming down permanently. I'm seeing families coming in. They're trying to get in for what would normally be the school year next month. Um, but they're still, I think a lot of people are just moving down full time. Um, there's a better chance of schools being open now than the Northeast for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I literally last night they just till midnight they were voting on if schools are opening August tenth, and you know it sounds like they still have to come up with a plan with that. But yes, I hopefully schools will be open soon. But anyway, I think that um, there is, I think that there's the northeasterns have always been coming down here, and I think now instead of just renting or doing a seasonal thing, they're gonna more looking towards the permanent. Do you think? How do you think that's gonna affect the rental market? Well, historically, inventory for rentals is like slim to none. It's so hard to find a solid rental. It's so hard. They go so quick. Um, seasonal people who come down every year, they will get a lease as they're leaving. I mean, for the next year to lock it in. So those seasonal uh, rentals are like hotcakes. Um, they're priced pretty high because there's such a demand for them. Um, so, you know, I think maybe because of that too, why rent 5,000, 6,000 bucks a month for a seasonal when you can buy it and have a mortgage that's half of that, you know? So I think people are gonna start looking at that a little bit too, but I think it's just the inventory. So yeah, when, when more people are buying, 
less people are renting, maybe there'll be a little bit more, you know, supply demand, maybe there'll be some more inventory for the rentals. But um, right now, it's just kind of hard all across the board. The, the market is just kind of, even earlier this year, homes were selling crazy. And then, you know, we hit a little bit of a bump, but I want to say like less than a month, people were still buying and selling and wanting to move. So that demand has not changed. It's been pent up. And now that people feel more comfortable and confident going out, buying and selling, there's a lot more buyers than there are homes. So it's really been a matter of trying to shake some trees and get some, you know, people to list their homes because there's buyers. How are you shaking those trees? I mean, we could talk like for hours on this. It's, it's for me, it's always been a layered marketing approach. So a little bit of everything, right? Mm -hmm. So digital marketing, of course, but a lot of direct mail, um, a lot of, you know, farming specific areas, a mixture of flyers and letters and postcards that are going out on a consistent basis. Um, if I do have a buyers, which I have, I don't know. I mean, I have a database of them, but I also have legit buyers who are like ready to, you know, close tomorrow. Um, I'm writing handwritten letters to sellers in these neighborhoods that are saying, I legit have a buyer. Here's her picture and her name. They want to buy in this community. Are you considering selling? So that is the level of service that I think these buyers need to mm -hmm. when they're working with an agent, like, you know, I I've definitely thought about that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I have like one buyer right now, which mm -hmm. is nice, right? It's like my first, yeah, it's my exciting. first buyer, right? Yes. And, you know, we're looking in the Port St. Lucie area and obviously things are just, if it's on the market today, it'll be gone tomorrow. Crazy. And so how do we get creative to, yeah. to find something there? But yeah, that's, so the market's just, yeah, the it's market bonkers. is what it is. So. It's bonkers. Yeah. Um, I would say like, because same thing, working with buyers, it's it's like setting the expectations and just getting them as prepared as possible. And I think the longer, like I have a client who they finally, we finally got them new construction in Port St. Lucie because for I'd say a couple of months, they were looking at the resales because they wanted a house with a pool. Mm -hmm. New construction homes are not being built with a pool. You gotta put a pool in after the case. Okay. You might have a community pool, but most builders are not putting pools in. So at a certain price point. Luxury, yes, most of the time they have pools. But anyway, um, for a while we were looking at the resales and yes, I mean, it goes on the market one day, it's seven offers on it, forget it. You don't have a chance, especially if you have a house that you have to sell. A lot of people- No more contingent offers. And, it's crazy, yeah. yeah, like it's it's so, so really the biggest thing to do in that case is you have to have your finances so right. in order. You have to have that pre-approval, not a pre-qual. You have to explain to the buyers what the difference between rocket mortgage pre-qualification that you type in, you know, and they spit something out versus a actual pre-approved desktop, desktop underwritten approval from a lender is and what that process entails and it's like doing all this due diligence up front to get the lender everything they need so that they yes we can close quick we have everything you are 100 percent approved ready to go um, and i think that with a lot of buyers maybe in the beginning they might say well like they're not incentivized or they they're they don't feel um, motivated to get their docs into a lender Mm -hmm. But once they see, once you take them out and they see, oh, that went under contract, that went under contract, 
you like yeah we the have house to be they able looked to jump. at today right it's gone oh, it's not there anymore yeah especially if we have to wait 24 hours to get a pre-approval from a lender forget it like you have to have all this stuff up front um and ready to go and have that auto notification and work with a, a buyer agent who knows those markets mm -hmm. and they have their ear to the ground and they know oh this neighbor's about to list soon or this one's coming on the market next week let me call that listing agent and see if they'll just let us in for a quick peek or let me see if or let's put an offer in sight on scene mm. not every listing agent will accept that but let's put an offer in the second it comes on full price we have our inspection period to do our due diligence but let's lock it up so there's so many different strategies that you can use depending on on the market right now very cool um what is that trying to think take me through a scenario like that where you have a buyer and you know this one house or these couple of mm -hmm. houses in this one area they're going really quick what is your strategy for getting in then in that house that they want yeah so it you know it depends like where that buyer is coming from so I feel like the virtual buyer the people who are out of state out of town buyers they get it and they put a lot of faith and trust in their buyer agent and that's golden that's so valuable and because they know they're in an out of state they there's no way they're gonna get here to view the property they're relying on that agent to know the market do a virtual tour for them get them in the door and lock it up so those buyers seem to be a lot more on top of it because they know they have to rely on one person down here for them they have to do exactly what that agent tells them to do if they want this house whereas um, down here when you're in the market you know everyday homes come on and off the market mm -hmm. so th there's open houses buyers will drive past it so maybe there's not the same sense of urgency for some local buyers here because they're like oh if we miss this one we'll get the next one but when the time comes that they have to move or for whatever reason it is job reload or they're selling then I think it's um, again it goes back to making sure their their finances are in order um, the biggest part of it too is if they have a house to sell and so what we call move up buyers right so, or or even if they're downsizing mm -hmm. so they have to sell their current home to be able to get those proceeds and purchase the next home so they basically have two options one they can sell their home take the money rent for a while and then take their time to find the next home most people don't want to do that because mm -hmm. they don't want to have to put their stuff in storage they want to move right into the next money yeah they have to rent you got to find a rental like that's a whole nother process in itself um, or you can you know try to time it so that you sell and close on the new home in that same day it happens all the time it's common practice here there's a lot of moving parts. It has to be very well, you know, coordinated and organized, but it happens all the time. But in this market, when homes are selling so quick, you got to strategize, you got to write a really strong offer to convince the seller to accept your buyer's offer, knowing that they have a house to sell. So what does that mean? Well, you got to have that house on the market and probably under contract. And it probably has to be past the inspection period. So if they have a house to sell and they're like, well, but we don't want to, because a common thing you'll hear from buyers as well, but what happens when, when we put our house in the market and it sells, we're not going to have anywhere to go, we're going to feel rushed. Yes, like that, right I don't. Right now, yes. Yes, yeah. right now, 
that that is the option or the first option sell it if you have friends and family you can stay with some, for some time or try a lease back you know like you can mm -hmm. do close and then do a post closing occupancy if those if the new buyers will allow um, you to stay in the home for a little bit time while you're still looking for your new home so there's so many different ways to structure the contract that will benefit them but um, if they have to sell in order to buy then they have to have their house on the market most likely under contract and that contract really has to be past the inspection period um, for a seller so to feel looking, comfortable so for a seller to feel comfortable you're really looking at only a probably a 15 to 20 day um, like gap of yeah that they uh, have to make their decision yeah i mean listen every seller like has their own mot motivation right if it's a if it's a seller whose house has been on the market for a year they might be a lot more open mm -hmm. and willing to work with that that buyer if if it's a seller who has five other offers why would they possibly take mm -hmm. your offer over someone else's who doesn't have a house to sell it just won't happen so and I've even written up offers that are over asking price, but because they have that contingency, the seller did, still did not accept it. And I don't really blame them because when they have other offers on the table that have one less contingency on them, it's mm -hmm. it's more likely to close for and them. And that seller probably has to go buy something They may else. have a contingency on their home, mm -hmm. exactly. So it has this, it's this domino effect, this ripple effect that you know, it real, it's like a case-by-case case uh, basis. You have to know the motivation and timing for both the buyers and the sellers. And I mean, there's, there's addendums, there's different ways to structure the contract. There's a kick-out clause that you could put in place. Uh, like I mentioned, there's a post-occupancy clause that you could put in there. So there's things that you can do to try to, What is know. a kick-out clause? Okay, so a kick-out clause is, is a, it's a great feature for a seller to accept an offer that has a contingency on that buyer having to sell their home. It allows the seller to continue marketing the property. So they typically put it in backup status, um, but they can continue marketing it and showing the property and trying to get another buyer to come on. Okay, so it, they're under contract with the first buyer, but they have this kickout clause which allows them to continue marketing it to get another buyer. Now, if they get another buyer who does not have a contingency, they give that first buyer, the original guy, basically first right of refusal, saying, if you want this house, you have to, you have to take off the contingency. You have to mm. remove your contingency and move forward with buying the house. Because I have another guy. Because I have another guy who, who's ready to go. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, at that, at that point, like in time, maybe the buyer has their house under contract and they're past the inspection period and they are confident that, you know what, I'm gonna take the risk here, but I'm pretty confident my house is gonna sell and close. So, okay, I'll, I'll remove the contingency and moving fo move forward with, with buying it without. Um, other people might say, I, I don't feel comfortable, I'm scared, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'll, 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 ta I'll take off, you know, we'll cancel the contract. Got it. Got yeah, it. but it's a great tool. So, how are you making? What does a what does a strong offer look like from you when you make an offer? I mean, is it just monetary, or is it what does that look like? No, it's not. It's like the whole term. So, and 
I, I also go back to saying the relationship between the buyer agent and the listing agent is important. I'm okay. not saying that they have to be friends. Um, this industry is so small, so most people like... Is it? There's like 50,000 agents. <laughs> there's 50,000. There's probably more than that, but like 5% of them are actual full-time top producing agents who do most and of the business here small. and that circle is small okay. so like you can see you pull, i'm trying to get in that circle oh uh, yeah you and me both <laughs> like i mean like little by little yeah but you see i mean some of the bigger teams you just know who you're working with you know like mm -hmm. you you know they're a professional group you're gonna have a good you know good process a good transaction with them um so regardless it's just building that professional relationship with that other agent educating I mean, I can't even tell you. Listen, I think my third deal ever in real estate, I got a listing. Magically, I got a listing. I'd never listed a house before except my own, um, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about the community. It was in Port St. Lucie. It was an hour away from me. Um, you know, you everything went How did you well. get that listing? I had the buyer, they had a house to sell. Okay. So I got buyers or sellers. So always remember that buyers, most of the time are sellers, unless you're working with someone who's renting or it's a mm -hmm. first time buyer, buyers are sellers. So whether they have a house to sell in Florida or another state, you know, you could still work with them in that sense. But um, yeah, so my first listing, brand new agent, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about an HOA. I didn't know anything about, I knew nothing, okay? And how many times, like I'm not the only one, I am not the only agent who is a brand new agent or a first time listing agent. Um, who needs to be educated. And actually, thankfully, I worked with the buyer agent who was very uh, experienced. She'd been in real estate for 20 years. She helped me. She really did. She helped educate me and helped me work through the process a little bit. So, uh, you know, I'm putting that out there because every agent's been in that, in, mm -hmm. in, in those shoes before, whether they want to admit it or not, but it's happened. So um, it's, it's building that relationship, educating the listing agent. So if that listing agent has never done a VA loan, then you got you got to explain it to them. Or if they don't have experience in that market, they just are listing their mom's house, but they don't know anything about the HOA. They don't know any of the rules or regs or the bylaws. They don't even know how to get the documents. You got to educate them. You got to mm -hmm. explain to them. All right, um, here's where you go. This is how you get it. This my buyer, my client's offer is based off of these terms and maybe they don't understand what a kickout clause is. You gotta educate them on that. They don't understand um, what certain addendums are with the contract in general, you gotta teach them. So, um, but I'd say also one of the bigger points is asking that listing agent, what, what does the seller want? Does the seller want a 30 day close or do they want 120 day close because they are building new construction, mm -hmm. their house won't be ready. So it's like before you just throw over an offer, before you send something over, you gotta have a conversation with the listing agent and find out what is motivating the seller to move. Is it time? Is it money? Is it flexibility? Do they want a big down, down uh, deposit because they got burnt on a, a previous deal or whatever it is? Do they want mm -hmm. a short inspection period? Um, there's so many things that you got to have that conversation with, but I feel like the timing is probably one of the most important parts and, and, um, like when do they want to close yeah. and yeah. Cause what their, what their motivations right. are for selling. Yeah. Cause most sellers, I'd say most of them want to close quick. They like, and most buyers probably think I'm going to make a strong offer. It's 30 days. 
well, it just so happened that that seller needed 90 days. So they took the other offer. So, but and because you, you didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got to do your due diligence as the agent and, and. So what are like your top three questions you're asking the listing agent before you make an offer? Um, what, what is the preferred timeline? Uh, well, first of all, do they have, do you have any offers on the table? <laughs> Cause most of the time people have offers and you know, they're negotiating offers and they're close to a deal. So it's like, all right, do I still have it? Does my buyer still have a chance to even get an offer in? So that's, that's is it worth of, putting an is offer Is it worth in? putting it? Where do I got to be? Where does my buyer have to be? Mm-hmm. And no, a listing agent is not going to tell you a number that they're, they're not ethically allowed to tell you, like you got to be at this price, right. but they can say, you what know, can they tell you? Well, they can kind of tell you we have multiple offers um, on the table, very strong offers. Um, you know, maybe they might hint at if they're cash or financed. Should they, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of depends on that agent and what they're willing to share and not share. It depends on the agent if they're a transaction broker or mm-hmm. if they are operating as a single agent. So they have fiduciary responsibilities to that seller where they can tell them nothing or maybe they can share, yeah, we have other offers on the table. Um, this is and what as, as a transaction broker, you have a little bit more flexibility to share a little bit. Infor- a little bit. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, ask me if there's any offers on the table. Um, ask what their preferred timeline is, where the seller is moving to, are they staying local or moving out of state? Do they have a house that they're trying to put an offer on? Are they already under contract? Um, and that kind of goes back to the timeline. And um, yeah, if they would accept, it depends if the buyer has to sell you know, a home, would they accept an offer, an offer with a contingency to sell? Um, would they accept a kickout clause? A lot of agents don't even know what a kickout clause is. So kind of goes back to that educating thing. So what I find is um, by- Because if you explain the kickout clause, that actually makes a lot of sense because it's mm-hmm. less risk for the, sell- the seller. It and is. it gives you, your buyer, a better yes. chance. It does, yeah. But you gotta like, the, the listing agent has to understand what you're telling them, but then also be able to relay it and explain it to their seller. So if they, if they can't, play telephone and explain it to their seller so that the Mm. seller feels comfortable. So a lot of times I'll just write it out in an email and just be like, or I'll offer to explain it to the seller. Like if they don't feel comfortable, if it's a newer agent and they just, they don't feel comfortable, I've, I've, they've allowed me to present to the seller directly. And that's happened before. A lot of buyer agents will have that, uh, will present it if the listing agent allows. So that's an option too. And because their goal is to sell the listing. It yeah. It doesn't really matter. Right. Teamwork. Right. right. It really is like a, it is more of a team approach mm-hmm. than I think some people would think. That's, that's, that's good. That's, yeah. it's really just setting expectations before you even make that offer and just getting to know as much about, about the deal as you can before yeah. you, you make your move. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can, do you have any recent experiences or stories where you were in a competitive, I don't know, bidding war or mm-hmm. something and you, you came through for your client? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to actually be able to win multiple, um, offers and for my buyers. And a, a lot of time, again, it, it comes back to the financing. So my lender that I work with, I worked with a lot of different lenders, and I think every agent has to have that relationship with their own Who do you lender. Work with? I work with Chris Bell and Certified Home Loans. Okay. Um, Certified Home Loans has you know several offices, um, but he he's just been my like right hand man. He 
one of the hardest working people I know. I mean, 11 o'clock at night, I got a question. Even yesterday, I, I call him like, hey, can you just run through this VA loan thing with me real quick? Because I wanted to make sure I knew like all the specifics for an hour. He's talking to me, it's like, you know, nine o'clock at night. Just go through the percentage with me one more time. And he's just, so anyway, it's, it's having a real partner who, for example, I send an offer. I CC my lender on that offer to the listing agent and he will follow up with that listing agent like within a minute. And it's not one of those blanket template like who we are, we're certified home loans, like automated emails. No, it's a personal um, phone call or a personal email specifically talking about that borrower. Not that I do a great job and I close deals all day long. It's no, I have vetted out this buyer. He is very, he's a triple A, um, you know, borrower. Um, he is, you know, I have everything that I need from him. He is good to go, ready to rock. We could close in 30 days or less. So that has been super helpful having my, my lender communicating with the listing agent. And he stays in touch with them throughout the whole process too. Um, even as a listing agent, I reach out to that buyer's lender often because I want to make sure things are on track. Like I don't step on toes, but if I'm not, if I know loan commitment is coming up and I haven't heard from that an update, then I'm calling that lender and I'm saying, do you have everything? Are we good to go? Or are you getting the CD out? Are we clear to close? Like, and so having a lender who's proactive, uh, I think is huge um, in putting a good feel for in, in the listing agent's mind. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of it. Um, structuring it, again, asking what the seller wants, what's ideal for the seller in terms of, again, the terms and the timeline. Um, and then, you know, you gotta go in strong. You gotta, you gotta price it well. For a, bar, a buyer who's financing, they're protected because they're ha gonna have an appraisal. So. Even if you go over asking price, you have that appraisal to protect you. So the lender's not going to okay. loan you over, you know, that over market value. So it's it is it's always contingent on loan approval. It's always right? contingent on loan approval, and you don't even have to add the appraisal addendum because that's part of loan commitment. That's loan approval right there. So. Um, yeah, you have to you have to have your loan approval. You have to have it appraised, and then the other part that I've often used is um, an escalation clause. I think some agents do this regularly, who are you know like they understand the market and getting an accepted offer. But an escalation clause, allow, assuming that the buyer allows that, it allows you to beat out any other offer that's on the table by X dollars. So. Oftentimes, I've written it up where it's like my buyer will um, pay up to $1,000 over your highest and best offer with proof. So I have to see it in writing that you have a legit offer um, up to a certain dollar amount. So smart. Yeah. And it's worked multiple times. Um, and it's great. So I've used that. Um, but I, I, I really, it's really just a matter of getting that financing piece and having the relationship with the other agent. Awesome. Yeah. Great. I, I think I kind of took you off your stories um, of. <laughs> I don't know. I Sorry, think, I took no, you it's off just of. Been a good, good conversation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, okay, so this is my buyer that I'm looking. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a young family. Just had another kid. I think he literally do like today or yesterday or something. Oh, exciting! So as soon as that happens, he's he's ready to look. Like yeah, that's just sort of what they're waiting for. Yeah. He's 
he definitely wants he's looking to save as much cash as possible up front you mm -hmm. know so he's looking for you know fha or something mm -hmm. that's low down but he's also looking to save on closing costs somehow yeah. how do you approach that and what is your best strategy for for doing that for new home buyers specifically who are definitely yeah. new and are like oh we only have so much in our savings account right. that kind of thing so I mean, really the first step is connecting them with a lender, but what they can do, so what's cool, based on their debt to income ratio, you know, a lot of the first time home buyers automatically think, I have to go FHA um, because I only wanna put down three and a half percent, or I wanna put down like the lowest amount I possibly can um, because I don't have a lot of cash to bring to the table. But there's so many different ways to structure a loan where, um, First of all, depending on your debt to income ratio, you can still do a conventional loan with like 5% down. So, I think that's what we did with our condo. Yeah, right. right? So it, condos are a little different because you have to go through their, the, mm -hmm. the condo review process and stuff. So it's a little different. But yes, like you can still, and for the most part, conventional financing would typically be considered stronger than FHA. Um, so yeah, for a seller to see uh, an offer with conventional even if it's only 5% down, if, if that buyer's debt to income ratio and their finances can support that, great. Um, if they're concerned about the closing cost, a lot of times I've had clients buy homes and getting seller credit so or seller concessions, right? So say you are buying, say a house is listed for 300,000 and um, you know that borrower can only come to the table with say $5,000 um, or I don't know, $10,000 down payment. Well, they can ask for seller concessions back from the seller, which is basically cash towards their closing cost. So if they have to bring, if a buyer, borrower has to bring say $15,000 to closing at the closing table, they have to come out of pocket $15,000 and they only have five, well, Hey, Mr. Seller, I will pay you over asking price. The house is 300, I will give you 310, but I need that 10,000 back at closing. Mm -hmm. For the seller, a lot of times that, that works for them because they're, they're netting the same amount of money, okay? For the borrower, it's huge because that allows them, they need that, they need that cash, otherwise they'd have to, I don't know, borrow it from somewhere and get it gifted from a family member or whatever, and that could make or break whether or not they can buy a house, is that seller concession. The trick that ends up happening a lot of times is the appraisal. So the house has to appraise for the purchase price. So if the buyer is offering over asking price in order to get that seller concession back and it doesn't appraise, then you got to renegotiate the whole deal. So that could be a little tricky sometimes, but a lot of times it works well for both parties. Um, you just got to know the comps pretty well and make sure that the house will appraise for that price so that the seller doesn't have to eat, um, eat the cost of the purchase and the concession. So for a, a single family home, I mean, comps are, what, what is the gap? What is the tolerance of you know putting in an offer for three hundred and ten versus three hundred? Will an appraisal at some point an appraisal does matter? You know if it's twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollar difference, but you know for this buyer it's going to be a single family home in Port St. Lucie. What is the tolerance for an appraisal to be under or over? Does that make sense? Meaning, so let's say that they uh, we we put in an offer for three hundred and ten. It was mm -hmm. listed for three ten, 
and an appraisal comes in and says, well, you know, it's only worth 300, does 10,000 make that big of a difference or do you have to get into like the 15 or 20,000 for it really to make a difference? No, like the appraisal is the appraisal. So, so it's an exact number. Yes. And it can't go over that right. number no matter what. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't it, know if there was any no. leeway like, oh, it's only 500 bucks. Like, No, it's the okay. appraisal is the appraisal and that is all that the lender will loan. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, and that, that's where it gets a little tricky. So, for example, Jupiter Village right here, okay? I, I listed a house. We listed it a little bit high, and I told the seller, I'm like, listen, well, we could list it. I know I'll sell it, but it's not going to appraise for that. I'm telling you right now. So I'm setting the expectations of we listed it, I think, at $299 or $295. We got full ask. But the buyer wanted seller concessions. And I was like, all right. Listen, I'm telling you, that's why they made the offer at full asking. And I told the seller, I'm like, listen, it's not going to appraise. So you just have to know that in the back of your mind because I just sold the house two doors down for a certain price point. They're going to use that as a comp. So, you know, we, we got a great offer on it, but we just have to keep in mind that when the appraisal come, and sure enough, it appraised at 288. So they made an offer at, I think it was 295, it appraised at 288. So $7,000 less, okay? So the seller already is having to take $7,000 off their net proceeds. But then they already agreed to giving the buyer seller concessions of like $5,000. Mm. So now they're at $12,000. And that was a, they were like, nope, I'm gonna walk. Forget it, cancel contract. I'm not taking a $12,000 loss on this, right? And so what we had to do was that buy. So we told the buyer, listen, it only appraised for two eighty eight. We'll come off seven thousand, but you're going to have to go find that that those six six thousand dollar in seller concession. You're going to have to find them. And it was hard. It was. I mean, we weren't sure if they were going to be able to or not, but they were able to get money from their family and friends for that. But the seller, you know, it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too. We'll we'll reduce it to the the appraised value. But we're not going to also give you an extra six thousand mm -hmm. bucks. So that's where it gets so a little tricky. So sort of tricky. managing expectations on yes. both sides. Yes. That could have made that deal if they would have listened to your. Like yeah. it's it's all around. It's. I mean, listen. They they got a great offer, right? It sold in a day. They got a great offer, mm -hmm. and you just never know who the appraiser is going to be. Like, could a, another appraiser appraise it for a couple thousand bucks more? Maybe. Could another appraiser appraise it for a couple thousand bucks less? So, sure. question, why why do we price off of comps? Why don't we just get appraisers to, like, if, if the loan's mm -hmm. always going to be contingent on the appraisal, then what's the point of pricing it above or below? You, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, as as a realtor, not some, so you can get your appraisal certification as a realtor. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, learn how to, how an appraiser views properties when they're doing their report. Um, they're hired by the lender. And so when they're hired by the lender, they get a copy of that sales contract. And it's not the appraiser or the, or the agent, the realtor, who dictates the value of the home. It's the market. Mm -hmm. Kind of goes back to what I said earlier. Like, if a house is on the market for listed for 300, but we're getting multiple offers for 320, well, the market is dictating that that home is worth 320. Okay? So... I, I would say that that is fair, that, that the, but the appraiser doesn't know that they had multiple offers for 320. The appraiser is only looking at 
past sales. That's the only thing that they're looking. They're not looking at active or pending or contingent. They're looking at past sales. So um, they they have a bit of control in this. You know, the home values in a market. Whether or not I agree with that or not, like I, you know. And basically all of those other offers would have to, they'd have to come up with some sort of more cash down or yeah. something that, because you're just not going to get a loan mm-hmm. for anything above what an appraiser is going right. to give you. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so they, it's kind of checks and balance where, you know, I guess appraisers in some sense kind of keep the market steady. You know, um, if a home just sold last month for a certain price down the road and this month it's like 20000 more, well, why? It's the same exact house, you know, you know, so they, so they look at, they look at these sales, but, um, I don't know. I mean, you never know all, all appraisals. They look at things differently. And that's why I really like the VA appraisals because they have the tide water where they do reach out to the agents and they kind of help make the number work. They help try to find those comps. I, I like that approach. That yeah. makes a lot of sense because you're an appra- a, a, a traditional appraisal, they'll just look at what they think and what they view in the market. But right. if they can talk to you and everyone else, they're like, well, this is why this is more valuable because sure. of X, Y, Z. That, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. That's getting input from local realtors kind of makes sense. They should you know? know the market better than anyone. And yeah. I, I would just mention too, like sometimes they should, right? they should. But some appraisers, you know, like some people will have a appraisal done on their home, whether they're refining or they're just curious. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone could order an appraisal. Um, that, when a homeowner orders an appraisal for a refi or just peace of mind, that is not the same appraisal as when a borrower, a lender, is buying a house and they have appraisal. Not that it's okay. not the same report and process and system, but there's no one buying it. Like it's, it's the it's risk. Just, there's no yeah, yeah, it's it's just an appraiser um, coming out. There's no, they're not getting a, a contract to see what a purchase price of the home is. They're just straight up coming out and saying. Yeah, this house could be worth I don't know three million dollars. Whatever, great. it looks great. But when an, when it's ordered from a lender and there's a purchase price on the contract and it says it's nine hundred thousand or whatever, then the appraiser knows like they have parameters now. They kind of know what they're looking for. They they and their loyalty is sort of to the lender, right? They're, they or they're yeah not loyalty, they're hired but, through the right. appraisal management company and they have to cover themselves and there some may be more conservative other may be more you know a little liberal but like my grandmother she has a condo in Naples and um, my grandfather passed so they had to the condos in a trust so they had to have an appraisal done for the trust okay because the the children are now now they the, the condos in the trust and the children now own the trust so they had to have an appraisal company come out so the lady came out and she appraised the condo for three, what was it? 335. Okay. I'm like, all right, great. That's it's good to know what they what they appraise it for. So my grandma puts it on the market and I help her find an agent in the area. And we listed it um, right around like 339. Well, she's getting offers for three. 300, 305, 310. She's like, but it appraised for 335. I'm not selling it for less than that. Well, grandma. It's a, it's a lot different when you order an appraisal yourself just kind of for the trust, for a legal matter, versus buyers, they're dictating what the home is worth, not the appraiser. So they're saying if you're getting 10 offers at 310, that's mm-hmm. probably what the condo's worth. 
not 3.35. So it's, it's again, it kind of goes back to the educating thing. That's that's really, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's oh, good I'm stuff. full of it, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me check cameras real sure, quick yep. and audio, and then yep, yep, we'll, yep. we'll go into our last little. Cool. Is it still uh, yep, I'm still ticking. counting up? Yep. These are actually going longer than I thought they would. I was like, it's, I was aiming for like 30 or 40 minutes, but like they're actually, oh, which I'm not, I'm it's not good. It's a natural about conversation. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk and, and just learn a little bit more from you in terms mm -hmm. of me being a new agent. What, what is your advice to a brand new agent? What is the first what are the things they should do in their first three months of being a new agent? Okay, that's a good question. I would, oh, there's just so much. If if you're not, I could say, because I've learned a lot of what not to do. I think you could take things of what not to do better than what to do. Okay, so like when I, when I first got, when I first got my license or first started selling, I would literally sit in my house, staring at my phone, refreshing my email, just praying that someone would call me. Like, I'd be like, like, why is my phone not ringing? What, what do I do? Like, I didn't know what to do. If I was not out showing properties, I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know what to do with my time. So for, you know, days would go on and I would just be kind of sitting there. Like I'd go online, I'd go on Facebook. Maybe I'd post a couple things here and there. Crickets, nothing. Maybe I get a call, like I, I advertise on Zillow a little bit. Maybe I get a lead that way. I'd show it and then no one would call. So it's like, I just didn't know what to do with my time. Now, I weeks can go by, I don't show property. I mean, really, and I am working 10 hours a day working on my business, working on marketing, prospecting, um, videos, um, all the content doing comps, doing direct mail, farming my area, researching, doing due diligence. There is just so much you can do all day. It is, I mean, this is what full-time real estate is. It is being self-disciplined, having a weekly daily plan, having three things a day that you accomplish every single day and being self-disciplined to get things done. Because otherwise you'll be out running errands, picking, doing grocery shopping, just waiting for your phone to ring, hoping that someone will call you to go show them properties. Like it, that doesn't happen unless you do all the work and, you know, all, all the work to create the lead generation to, um, th there's just so much you can be doing all day. So like as a brand new agent, first three months, I would say, find a mentor, number one, find someone who will take you under their shoulder. I don't care if you don't make a penny those first three months, you have to follow them around, listen to them, go on different coaching sites, go on different podcasts, webinars, hear what people are saying and let those words and the language and the terminology sink into your head and start repeating mm -hmm. it. Learn the, just learn the profession um, everything from learning the contract, learning the sales process, learning, um, it's not even the negotiation process, it's learning the contract process, the transaction, because 
you take a buyer out, they want to make an offer. If you don't even know how to write up a contract, if you don't even know what, like when their deposits do, when their inspections do, like you are of no value. If anything, you are a detriment. You're dangerous. You're negligent if you don't know that contract inside and out. So I, that's like number one. Find a mentor who will take you under their wing. Read that contract inside and out. Understand it. Rehearse it. Practice saying it out loud. Do role playing. I mean, sit at the table, pretend that your buyer is there and explain to them each paragraph of that contract because you're asking them to sign a, a legal document and put money into it. And if you don't know it, then that that's a disservice to that client. So that's number one. Um, these are all, and then I would just, I would train, I would train, learn, soak up as much as you can as a sponge. All while you're doing that, you are, <laughs> so all while you're, and that, that is full time. You can be doing that eight hours a day and you would still have plenty of time to be doing other stuff like that. That is, that should take up. But ride alongs, like a lot of agents will start out, whether you're on a team um, or you could just do being a showing assistant. Like there's so many different things you can just be, you know, not everyone likes to do open houses, but did I start out doing open houses? Yeah, I, I sat in a couple open houses. I would love to do open right? houses. Like I feel like I would thrive in an open house. COVID has sort of put a downer on that a little bit. A little bit. There's but, some restrictions on it, but right. like your personality, it's it's. I would love. It's like that's great. one of my when yes. I first started this out. One of my top strategies was do open houses. I haven't been. I I need to work a little harder at it. Mm -hmm. I just haven't found any that I've been able to do yet. Yeah. You know, I have to reach out to my the people yes. in my brokerage first. Yes. It's kind of where I I thought about doing outside my brokerage, but that's not quite as common. <laughs> I don't uh, think. Anytime you want to sit in on one of my open houses, I will. I will gladly 100%. have you there. Hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I will sit there and I will do. Yes. I just I want to get out there. I want to yes. talk to people. I want to. So I'll shoot you an email. Yes, totally. We'll do it. But that's it. It's it's not even about getting a buyer at an open house. I mean, it is, but like learning how to communicate with people, learning the terminology and the words and understanding timing and motivation, like just getting used to asking these questions, handling objections, like that is the most valuable. I mean, like, for example, there's probably 10 million scripts that you can download on, you know, if you're making phone calls or just in front of a client or converting people right mm -hmm. rehearse them download them find the one tweak it make it your own stand in front of a mirror and for every single day rehearse it i'm okay. telling you like i still do that to this day every single morning i role play with i have so many like accountability partners uh, business partners that i work with in canada i had a call yesterday with a, a realtor in canada to learn what they're doing in the industry and to see what their market's like. And it's very similar to ours. It's There's no inventory. So role playing with people that, again, that can take up all day. Because if you can feel comfortable in, your, in what you're saying and how you're communicating with buyers and sellers, then when you do get a lead in, it's natural. It just comes naturally. And, and there's not all the stress and pressure of, oh my God, I have a listing appointment, what do I do? Like you've already practiced it. You already have your listing presentation down. Mm. It's like do all the work now so that you're ready to go as soon as you know you get the leads coming in. Got it. Yeah. No, that's that's really valuable. I, a lot of this I sort of hear and the the more I learn, the more I realize how unprepared I am 
for those first couple of transactions. Sure. But I also know unless I do those transactions, I'm not going to like... Oh, totally. I'm not going to learn for real yes. what it's like to go through. And you have support. You have a broker, yeah. you have a team, you have people who will help you. So. And, that's, and it's great because I know one reason, one of the reasons I chose this specific broker is because, you know, I was, I, I interviewed the cloud type mm-hmm. of broker, yeah. you know, but... And I interviewed sort of like the big conglomerate yeah. brokers and stuff. But I was like, this one's sort of a hybrid uh-huh. that like when I pick up the phone. Someone answers. Someone answers. Imagine that. And, and that's just like, that's what I need. Yeah. And I was, you <laughs> know, it's a great team, yes. you know. And so right. that's that, that's kind of where um, sort of the reasoning why I'm here. Yeah. Um, but all of these things are super valuable. Um, I have a question for when you get a buyer, how do you, vet is the wrong word, but how do you vet a buyer? Mm-hmm. What questions are you asking to make sure you know exactly what they want? Do you have a form they fill out? Are you just kind of having a conversation? Hey, what are you yeah. looking for? Da, 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 da. Like, what are the things that you are, before you even go show them houses, assuming they have their pre-approval letter, right. what are the things that you are digging deep so you don't waste your time going to houses they don't want to see. Right. So I think it depends a lot on your style, right, Um, of the buyer themselves, how you obtained that lead, like the lead source. Um, For example, if it's a referral, someone that you know, friend, family, someone in your sphere versus, uh, you know, a name and a number that you cold call and got someone on the phone. So a little different. But and every agent has their own way of how they vet or um, qualify a lead. So starting out as a new agent, someone called me, I got my car whenever they, wherever they wanted. I was like, I'll be there in five minutes. Like kids feed yourself. You know, like I, I jumped, I would do anything for, uh-huh. for that lead. Sometimes it worked out, most of the time it didn't. And but you, you were know, out there. I was out there and you know what? Even at the end of the day, I still got experience. I'm still in front of people. So I'd say, you know, ideally, yeah, I want I want someone to be pre-approved. I want to know, hey, have you spoken with, um, are you planning to pay, here's a simple way, are you planning to play cash or were you going to finance? Cash, who's paying, five? who's got $500,000? That's usually the response. Uh-huh. And if it's cash, great. Okay, well, um, have you spoken with a lender yet? No, I'm not, I haven't even started looking houses yet. Okay, well, what I'd really love is to, you know, get a good idea of what, you know, your budget may be so that I can set you up with homes that meet your specific criteria that you, that fit within your budget. Does that make sense? You know, because I would hate for you to fall in love with a home that may not I'm hearing not a script fit. come out. This is, but it's, it's really all good. part of it. Yeah, right. and, it, and it's like you make it your own and it's your own personality. Mm-hmm. So everyone's going to sound differently, but it's, you know, that's part of it. But I think the first questions are always timing and motivation. Great, Um, are you looking to make a move in the next three to six months? Are you Mm -hmm. looking, um, well, we're renting our, do you rent or do you own your home now? Oh, we're renting our leases up next year. Okay, so you gotta, so they're just starting the process. Okay, great. So you kind of go into, you segue off into a different conversation. Yeah, I need to buy a house like yesterday. Great, Uh, do you have your pre-approval? My what? 
Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get you in touch. I'm gonna connect you right now with my lender, Chris. Um, he's gonna tell you exactly what he needs to you. He's gonna shoot out a pre-approval because this market is so hot right now that if you see a house you wanna buy, you have to have your pre-approval with mm -hmm. your offer. I cannot and will not submit an offer that does ha not have a pre-approval, okay? And that, that's the conference. So that usually gets them off gets them a little motivated to go get their pre-approval done. But it's always a timing and motivation. Oh, we're just kind of starting to look mm -hmm. great. So you know that they're kind of like a B or a C buyer, you put them in the pipeline. Um, yeah, we need we need to buy immediately the next three months. Okay, Johnny on the spot, like let's go, let's, you know, when, you know, typically I like to meet with people in person rather than just taking down a laundry list of their must-haves on the phone. But it depends, are they out of state? Or are they local? Can I actually meet th with them at person in an office? Or are we gonna do like a FaceTime and I'll take down all your stuff? So you gotta like, it, it's really case by case. Are you having like, yeah, okay, case by case. Cause you got some people, like you said, they're still on their lease until Whatever, a year, year, who knows, yeah. Or a year. Yeah. What conversation are you having with them? Are you just putting them in your, your newsletter pipeline or are you gonna go show them homes? Probably not. I probably wouldn't show them homes if they're, you know, if they're more than six months out, what's the point? That home is not gonna be on the market in six mm -hmm. months. Um, I would, what I would do is, especially if they're not very familiar with the area, like I, I definitely would set them up on some kind of drip, some kind of pipeline, like you said, a newsletter. I check in with them monthly, you know, it depends. Like, because if someone tells you, yeah, I'm ready to buy in six months, they're ready to buy in three months because they need to close in six months. So you like kind of cut that in half sometimes. Um, but I would probably say, especially if they don't know the area, I'd be like, here, oh, I wanna live in Jupiter. Great, where in Jupiter? I don't know, okay. There's, I don't know, hundreds of different subdivisions. So I might help um, organize them a little bit and be like, mm -hmm. oh, I wanna live in Abacoa, great. Well, these are, I think there's seven subdivisions in Ab these are all the different subdivisions, um, a little bit about them. Maybe I would send them like the website, keep them, like educate them on the, hey, drive by this area, go to lunch or go to dinner here, get a feel for the area, see if you like it. And then by three to six months, they are ready to go. They know exactly where they want to be. They may not even know what street they want to buy on, you know? So at that point, you could kind of narrow the search a little bit. I think the longer lead time prospects just give you an ability to give them a little bit of homework to do, mm -hmm. have them figure out what neighborhood they want to be. Because otherwise, you're going to be driving from Port St. Lucie down to Boca trying to find and houses not, and they have no idea close. yeah so it's like drive by these neighborhoods if you go in an open house let them know you're working with me you know like or i'll meet it's like you my biggest open house. fear like they go into something it happens and like, it ah. happens yeah and that's just part of the conversations i'd love to help you i want to work with you just keep in mind you know when you go to an open house just let them know you are working with a realtor because otherwise i won't be able to continue helping you and some people are super loyal, some people aren't, but at least you know at that point that they're not. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can kind of change gears a little bit. So expectations, yeah. right. Um, so shifting gears just a little bit more, I wanna talk a little bit more about your company. Tell me about just to tell me about your team, this, yeah. the Stanford team, like okay. how you guys work, what you guys do, um, what what makes you guys stand out, all that. Yeah, so um, I, 
I kind of started my team, I'd say about two years ago, because I realized that I needed to kind of, you can't do it all yourself. You know, you can't be like the everything to everyone. And I can't be all places at once, but I wanted to service clients throughout pretty much the East Coast. So um, I, I brought on some agents and partners. I call on my team partners because it really is a mutual uh, team approach. Like I learn a lot from the agents on my team and, and vice versa. But um, you know, I'm where I live right now is Jupiter. So I often get calls for people down in Boca, um, West Palm Beach. Do I know those communities inside and out? No. You know, um, can I sell? Of course, I could sell anywhere, but sometimes some clients are best suited for a certain personality of agent, um, an agent who knows a specific marketplace better. Um, you know, it just kind of depends. So I wanted to bring on people that complement our team, myself, you know, strengths, weaknesses, and kind of grow that way. So, um, so that's what I did. I have, you know, not only um, agents south and north of me, but I have a back-end team, my admin team. That's been gold to me. I have a transaction coordinator um, who is, I mean, I don't know what I did without her. Like before, she, she handles from contract to close. I mean, I give her a sales contract. She puts together a timeline. She processes it. She coordinates with the lenders, the title, the buyer, the seller, like phenomenal. That has freed up a lot of my time and energy so I can focus on my clients and not all the paperwork. Because mm -hmm. um, that's what I enjoy and that's where my strength is. So um, I have a assistant that helps me with a lot of my marketing, um, graphic design, you know, and then also kind of like what I call is it is just like my other vendor partners. So my title and my lender, my inspector, my um, my contractors, that's kind of all become part of the Stamber team so that you know when you work with us that we are full service. Oh, what does it cost to you know replace a kitchen? I got a guy. Um, it needs a new roof. I have no idea who to go. I got a guy. I know I have vetted and have all these contractors and, I, and that's another value that I bring my clients is mm -hmm. Don't go on Angie List and try finding your own person. Like I have fill out their form. You get know, a quote. Like, it's so annoying. It. Oh my god! Like I have someone for pretty much anything you can need, from painters to movers to, again, lenders. Like credit repair guy. I got a guy. So it's like full. It's full service in that sense. So again, it's not only just having buyer agents and, and listing agents. It's having all the back end people who really support the client. Because finding a house and putting an offer on it is like that's that's like step one that's like mm -hmm. the easiest part really it's closing the deal and getting all that stuff in place that's the most important and yeah. that's why i needed to really have a team to support me with that um how big but, is your agent team so right now i have three buyer agents um and you know Does that, then they only focus on buyers and if they if they are buyers or sellers, so a lot of times mm -hmm. a lot of their the buyer leads will end up being I have a house to sell too. So it, it really depends. Um, you know, even with rentals, will we help with rentals because renters turn into buyers down the road. Mm -hmm. So um, it just kind of depends. And then I have because of the networks that I've become part of, like I have agents in Miami. They're not necessarily on the Stamber Home team. They're in different brokerages. Maybe they have their own brokerage and team, but. I have qualified agents 
all across the country, Canada, New York, um, that I have referral partners with that, oh, you're moving to Orlando, let me help you. Like I, we just sold a house in North Palm, they're moving to Waco, Texas. I have an amazing friend and agent Paige Houston, yes, her last name is Houston and she lives in Houston, Texas. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. not fair, like perfect branding. Uh -huh. um, but I, I get, put them in touch with her and she, I sold their house in North Palm and she held them buy a place in Waco. Like that is full service, that's a team approach. So you don't have to go on Zillow and find a random agent mm -hmm. who services in Waco. So, um, so that's kind of the level of support, but kind of like going back to the conversation with the military part of it and just my, experience with that like that's really turned into the core um mission of like our why our team why my why has always just been to give back and support the local community so like and i've changed that like i've really had to take time to put down like my vision and my intent of what i want the stammer home team to kind of resemble in the community and that really has come back to honoring those who are serving and giving so much. And that's been my Homes for Heroes program where it started out with really just veteran military, but now like so much is changing in this world and I just feel like it's better to be grateful and thankful for everyone who's playing a role. Anyone in public service, police, fire, healthcare workers, like they are like our frontline heroes right now too. And I just wanna thank them. So education teachers, God bless our teachers. Like, <laughs> I am so thankful for these teachers. I um, this year has been a struggle. So yeah, like that's that's been it as being um, super involved in the community, giving back, partnering with other local nonprofits, uh, Wounded Veteran Relief Fund. They're incredible. They help post 9/11 veterans and their families get back on their feet. Um, Operation 120 helps homeless female veterans, which there is that's such a uh unserved um they're, they're not getting enough press and, and um visibility on that need for female homeless veterans and their children like they're sleeping in cars so operation 120 helps shelter and um you know have a home for these women who have served and they have nowhere to live so that's crazy yeah there's there's just right. so many great local charities that i like to be a part of and you know whether giving back financially or just time-wise and and you know sponsoring mm -hmm. i've really enjoyed doing that so that's that's what our mission has been in addition to all the real estate and you know it's just paying it forward awesome yeah awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I've learned so much and I'm, I'm excited to roll this out. So Thanks, thank I am too, I appreciate it, thank you. Thank you for joining me this week on Be My Mentor, a real estate podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you have any questions for me about real estate, send me a message over on Instagram or Facebook at brandon.myrealtor. Thanks so much. Until next time.